I have a dream. One of these days, hopefully not too far away, they're going to pass a tray of bread down the pew, and I'll break off a great big piece. And I don't care if every one of you has breathed on it or handled it. I'm going to eat it and enjoy it and praise the Lord for it. It's going to happen one of these days. We just have to be patient until then and keep eating that styrofoam. <laughs> I want to just talk to you for a little bit today. Kind of an informal chat, if you will. You know, uh, up until recently, and, and it may still be once in a while, if I wanted to carry on conversation with my youngest grandson, we talked about superheroes. Papa, who's your favorite superhero? And we discussed the, all the advantages and disadvantages from Superman to Hulk to Batman and all the rest of them. But he was very much into these superheroes. These are, these are something that, that uh, really appealed to him. They had the ability to do these great things. I want to read to you about some superheroes of a different kind. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11. You're familiar with that. That's the great faith chapter of the Bible. And this writer, whether it's Paul or someone else, we don't know for sure, mentions Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab. And then toward the end... He says this, listen to this, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of the Spirit, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. From the time you are baptized into Christ, and I don't care what age that is, God starts working on you to turn you into one of these kind of people. I'm going to use the term today, great souls. Great souls. God makes great souls. And from the time you come up dripping out of the waters of baptism, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God starts working on you, turning you, changing you, transforming you 
into one of these great souls. You can read about it. The scripture that was read earlier from Romans 8, about the Spirit dwelling in you. You know why? To change, to transform you. You read about it in, in, in Romans 12. You can read about it in, in Galatians 6, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and what, you, what you're capable of becoming, and, and Ephesians chapters 4 through 6. And every, it, that's what the Old, New Testament's all about. Not just saving you, not just getting your sins forgiven, not just giving you the promise of heaven, but while you're here transforming you, changing you into one of these great souls. This is God's work in us to make us great souls. I'm going to talk about four points today. I'm going to describe what, what a great soul is today. Uh, and then we're going to end up with a little bit of homework, but I'll, I'll get to that later on. Number one, great souls have great faith. Great faith. Not all faith is the same. Did you know that? Jesus talked sometime to his disciples and sometimes to the people of Israel, and, and on different occasions he said, Oh, ye of little faith. And that's a kind of faith that doesn't take away your fear. And it doesn't take away your anxiety. It doesn't keep you from worrying, fretting, being scared about things. It doesn't really make all that much difference in your life. It doesn't give you confidence. It doesn't give you peace. It doesn't really give you what, you what you need, what God wants you to have. I want to look, get you to look at two things. If you ask most people, in this part of the country anyway, do you believe in God? Most people would say, I believe in God. There it is. I believe in God. But I want you to think for a moment about the huge contrast between that and this. The next one, please. I believe God. You see the difference? It's big. <clears throat> Not just that he's there. I believe he's out there. I believe he probably created the world. I believe we ought to praise and worship him. But when he takes that next step, and it's a big one, to say, I believe God. We're, we're moving into the realm of a life of trust in God. That what he says, that what he promises is real. That what he promises, what he teaches, I am going to live by because it's got to be good. It's got to be right. It's got to be the best way. I believe God. That will give you confidence. 
and boldness. That will take away your fear. There's a time when we're in desperation, we're, we're praying to God. Can I use your story? I didn't ask her before. And it, I found out from my family that they really want me to ask them before I tell a story about them. My children used to say, what are we, just your illustrations? A lot of the time, Barbara was very concerned about a very dear friend of hers the other day. She was desperate. She was, her friend had COVID, was taken to the hospital, couldn't, her oxygen saturation was down. She was, she said, almost desperate, crying out until finally, finally, the Lord said, hey, you've been teaching about me all this time. How about you believe what you've been talking about? How about you trust, believe God? I got this. And isn't that what he's trying to say to us so often? I got this. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Believe God. You know one of the tests? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down. Let's get, let's get down and dirty for a minute. You know... One of the tests to see if you really are a person who believes God, you're giving. It'll start right there. That's one of the simplest things. That's where heaven and earth come together. It's where your pocketbook and your soul and your spirit, if you can't, if you're not giving at least 10%, you don't trust God. No, you don't. Don't argue with me. No, you don't. Because he says, you're better off, trust me on this, you're better off with 90% when you give me 10 than you are with 100%. He says that. That's just one of a little test. Oh, there's so many more. There's so many more. And when you really believe God, that changes, changes your worship. You sing the songs differently. Your prayers will change when you really believe God. You'll, you'll pray differently. They'll have a different content. You'll be more concerned about the spiritual in your own life and in others than just the physical, but it will change your life. Great souls have great faith, and you can see it in them. Number two, Great souls have great hearts. Have great hearts. Now, the Bible talks an awful lot about the heart. And I used to, I, I remember, I used to be a little vague about what that meant. What that's really all about. Let me, let me see if I can simplify this for you. Get down to it. Because the Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Jesus talked about the heart. Out of the heart come the evil things, the words, and adulteries. and for, It comes out of the heart. So you need to keep your heart. We need to be there. Okay, what's my heart? Okay, let me, here's the question. What do you want? I don't mean for lunch. Really, really, really more than anything want. 
your desire above all others. The thing that will guide your life, the thing that will cause all the other decisions to be in tune with that, you see. What do you really, really want? More than anything else. See, until that becomes, I want to honor, to please, to serve you. Until we get to the point that we finally see, it's not about me, it's about him. I want him to be pleased. I want him to applaud me. I want him to say, that's good. It's easy enough to say, I want all you to applaud me. I want you to think I'm doing good. I want you to, to think I'm a wonderful person. and to, I want to have your approval. That's, that's one thing. That's easy. And so we play to that. We, that becomes our motive for everything. Jesus talks about it over in Matthew 6. He talks about the man who says his prayers to appeal to the people. It's easy to do that, isn't it? But how about, you know, I would love to be able to say, I don't care at all what you think. I do. Of course we do. But greater than that, we need to be able to say, no, but more than that, if it comes down to push and shove and, and what takes precedence, it's got to be him. It's got to be him. Because he's king. He's Lord. That's what I want. To honor, to please, to walk with him. Great souls have great hearts. What good is it if you have a great gift, if you don't have a heart to use it for God? What, what good is it? What good is it if you know all the scripture, if you don't have the heart to use it for God? I've told Chuck many times, he's, he's unique, he's unusual, he's one of the great souls. I'll, I'll tell you right here, sitting, sitting here, there's others. I may call all your names here in just a little bit. I've already told some before I ever started the sermon. I'm going to be talking about you. Great gift. Unusual. Beautiful gift. What good would it be if you didn't have the heart to use it for God? And so you have the heart along with the gift. Oh, you have something powerful. One of the great souls. What will your life be? Oh, it'll be, it'll have direction, it'll have purpose, it'll, but it won't be great. It won't be noble, it won't be beautiful. You can tell those people with the great hearts. They're seeking the Lord's will. There's a beauty and a sweetness about them. And that brings me to number three. Great souls have great attitudes. I want to say this in love, but I want to say it. 
I think I know some people who wake up every morning thinking, what can I be angry about today? And just go through the day. I think I know some people who wake up every morning saying to themselves, what can I be worried about today? What worry can I just carry with me and just have this dark cloud over my head? I think I know some people who wake up every day and say, what can I be sad about today? Let's think up something. Let's come up with something to be sad about today. What can I be victimized about today? What, what hurt can I carry through the day? Oh, bless your heart. Mm. You're making yourself and sometimes other people miserable. There's a reason we've been talking about, Gary's been preaching beautifully, by the way, on the book of Philippians. Rejoice, and again I will say, rejoice. Yeah, but, but yeah, but, see, Paul didn't know about the pandemic, about the stock market. He didn't know about my relatives. He didn't know about my mother-in-law. He didn't know about my children. He didn't know about the situation in the world. He, you know, he didn't know. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. There was as much ugliness and hurt. And there always will be. We live in a world where there are losses. We're going to lose our youth. It's gone. We're going to lose our health. It's barely hanging on. We're going to lose loved ones. We're going to. We're going to see tragedies. We're going to see a lot of hurt and a lot of negative things. And if you dwell on those, it goes back up to your faith. If you can see those in another light, if you trust God, Read the book of Revelation again. I, I like what one man said. God's for you. The devil's against you. We win. God wins. We are victorious in him. There's something bigger. There's, a, there's an attitude that God gives us called hope. And we walk and live in hope. I know. Sometimes we struggle with depression. Who hasn't during this thing when we've all been sequestered and pent up, couldn't see each other, so many things wrong, so many, so many things we can't count on. I'm one of those people who likes a plan. What's the plan? I need a plan. Well, there hasn't been one because nobody knows what's coming next. No plan. That's very disturbing to me. I want you to know. been disturbing to you I know to all of us it's been tough but you know what we have seen some beautiful marvelous wonderful works of God even in the midst of all this junk we've seen God still at work he's not gone 
God's still at work even in the pandemic. He has caused some wonderful, beautiful things. You saw a man celebrating one of the beautiful things we had done. Thank you for $23,000 to give Bibles to people who don't know about God. It's a work of God. Who would do such a thing? God's people. God's people would be moved to do that. God's people see beyond the darkness to the light. God's people even put death and loss and hurt and wounds in the realm of faith. I didn't say it's easy, but see them trudging through, see them walking through the hurt and the tears. Great souls. Great souls with a great attitude. You still here? You still trusting in God? I'm still here. I'm still trusting in God. Even in the midst of the hurt and the loss, yes, great, great souls. I know I'm an optimistic. I took a test one time, kind of the personality type, the gifts that you have. I'm an incurable optimist. I know, I know. I drive some other people crazy. But I also think God gave me that. Yes, the glass is half full. Yes, we're going to be victorious. Yes, it's going to get better. Yes, one day I'm going to get to eat that piece of bread. No, I'm not going to worry about it because it hadn't happened yet. I'm not going to dream about what could happen out there in the future and, and let that ruin today. No, I'm not going to do it. Can't do it. Great souls have a great attitude. And number four, great souls will not hurt you. There's a gentleness to them, maybe because they have been hurt and come through it, maybe because they have experienced wounds and walked with God through them. I don't know, but maybe they've known a kind of suffering. They face the darkness because the world is full of losses and hurts. The world's full of people who will insult you and offend you and discourage you and put you down and otherwise hurt you. There's a lot of people who will tell you, you can't do it. It's not real. God doesn't really love you. It's all going to you know, all going down the wrong path in a handbasket type thing. There's, there's, and and, and, and you, you, you can't do it. it. It won't work. All the negative. There will always be those people. People who will devalue you, wound you. But these people won't. The great souls, the great souls are there for you. They're going to love you. They will never wound you. Not intentionally. Not intentionally. We may, we may be thoughtless. Sometimes all of us are. You know, one of the things, brothers, we have to take perfect off the table. When I'm talking about the great souls. Get rid of perfect. Because we always say, yeah, but see, I see a flaw. I know one of his flaws. I know one of her weaknesses. I, I know a, a flaw, a wrong thing that he or she has done. Of course you do. My stars, 
<laughs> you know something wrong with all of us, don't you? I have said so many times over the years in sermons, you don't have to follow me around very long to find out I'm imperfect. We all are. That goes without saying, take perfect off the table. It's not there. There is no perfect. Every great soul has something wrong with him, but he's great anyway. In spite of the weakness, in spite of the flaw, God takes such people like us. Why did he show us the flaws of Abraham and even of Noah and of David and of Solomon and of Moses and of Peter? Why did he show it? Because it was real. It was, yeah, it's there. Do they have flaws? Do they have weaknesses? Yes. But do they have love? And do they have grace? And do they have faith? And are they accomplished able to do great, beautiful, sweet things in spite of being these terribly flawed people. That's the miracle of it all. God doesn't say, okay, zap, now you're perfect. Now you can serve me. Now you can go. No, he says, I'm going to take you in your weakness, in your flawed life and mind and, and heart, and I'm going to work through you so they'll know it's not you, it's me. Gideon, one of my heroes. God comes to Gideon. You're going to be a great hero. No, I don't think so. See, I'm a, I'm a nothing. I, I got nothing going for me. And God says, yeah, that's exactly why I want to use you, because you're the biggest nothing around. Because they'll know it's me working in you. You willing to be a big nothing for God so he can work in you? Let me tell you about these great souls. They're not perfect. God accepts and dwells in and works through flawed, imperfect people. All these great souls, all these that you read about in Hebrews 11, were just people. But because they believed and had their hearts set on God with an attitude of being a servant and willing to walk with God, he used them for great things. You want that? You want your life to really be meaningful? Do you want God to work through you? First, you have to be his. You have to really trust him. You have to let the Spirit of God work in you. Father, help us. Help us to seek your face, to know you, and to trust you fully. Help us to have great hearts. Tune our hearts, O Lord, so our greatest desire is to seek first the kingdom, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to walk with you, to honor you, to please you. Change our attitudes. Make us optimistic. Help us to see the beauty and the good and the wondrous things that you've provided. 
and help us not hurt anyone. Amen.